0: And how we focus on the things that it brings. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, next week uh, we will only have one service. There will not be Sunday school, uh, just one 10 o'clock service. And I hope that you all can uh, make plans to join us. Uh, Also, um, our kids are doing their Christmas program this morning uh, during the 10 o'clock service. And so uh, if you're able to stick around to to watch that, uh, it will be worth your time. Uh, Psalm 2714 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so we just continue to celebrate this season uh, of Advent, and Advent is about waiting, uh, waiting for something significant. And in just one week, we celebrate together and with family and friends uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Uh, If you've been with us these last few weeks, uh, so far in this series, we've been focusing on Galatians 4. 4-5. through And last week we expounded on it like this. Uh, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, the Lamb of God, born of a woman, born under the law that no one could keep, born to shed his own blood once and for all, to pay a price no one else could pay, to offer remission and atonement of sin that no one else could offer. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters into his family. This law that Jesus was born under, it points us to him and gives us the opportunity to experience the love and victory of God. It's been said like this, we prove our love when it costs us something significant to love. And the same is true with God. It cost him significantly to love us, and that price was Jesus. And so we have moved from hope to love, and today we look at the joy of Advent. And it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, the focus on, in, the, in the second service is going to be the joy of our kids and, and their program, and so we really couldn't have picked a better Sunday to speak of, of joy as they just kind of point us uh, to the joy of the season, <clears throat> uh, kids take the most joy as anybody. I mean, all the lights and parades and elves on shelves and candy and toys and, and presents and all these things, uh, there is a certain anticipation uh, that comes with, uh, with, with Christmas with kids. and so um, I, I found this picture. I think it, it may be next. Um, this is Brother Jimmy. Uh, Christmas morning, 1980-something. Um, it's kind of uh, sleepy joy on this picture, you know, but uh, there's joy nonetheless. And so uh, I, I'm, I know that it is still dark outside. We got up before, uh, before the sun did that day just to uh, see what was under the tree. But, uh, man, just the joy. If you have kids or grandkids you, that you'll be around this season, um, you get it. We get it, don't you? So the, the anticipation that comes with this season, the joy, uh, today, the first blank on your outline. To understand the joy of Advent, we need to understand the brokenness of humanity. To understand the joy of Advent, we need to understand the brokenness of humanity. And joy has been uh, defined as grace recognized. We'll think about that for a minute. Grace recognized and we get it confused with happiness a lot in our culture Uh, we've talked about it before happy moves it's been said like this uh, today's happiness becomes tomorrow's source of complaining like with uh, a new car it it makes me happy to get a new car Uh, it's got all these bells and whistles and it 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 runs good and it looks good Um, it makes me happy until it breaks down and then I start to complain We complain about a lot of first world problems, don't we? So let's see if we can get a a difference, try to define the difference between happiness and joy. Uh, So the first blank, the next blank there, happiness comes from things that happen to you. Happiness comes from things that happen to you. And it's only natural. I don't think it's always sinful to be happy with things that happen to us. Uh, but the problem comes when we try to make happiness our foundation, because it moves and comes from things that happen, happen to us. And, and we all know that not always good things happen to us, but joy is something produced in you. Joy is produced in us. It's based on unshakable faith produced by the unshakable Holy Spirit living within us when we surrender our hearts to the gift of life in Jesus. Joy doesn't move because Jesus is the firmest of foundations. The next blank on your outline, happiness is insecure. Happiness is insecure. And so it's tossed to and fro by whatever's happening to you. Uh, if, if something bad happens, then our world tends to crash. And we might spend the, our lives just trying to look for the next thing that brings some sort of, of happiness to our lives. But joy is confident. Joy is confident, because joy is internal, and it's based on something solid. Uh, the third thing there, happiness is defined by facts. Happiness is defined by facts. Um, like when, uh, when you find out you're going to be getting a Christmas bonus, it makes you happy. However, then you remember, oh yeah, my, my taxes are due by the end of the year, so there goes that, right? Yeah, so uh, happiness is defined by facts, but joy is defined by truth. Joy is defined by truth, even when a situation is hopeless. If we know Jesus, we can stand on the truth of his word, and we can claim his promises, even in our hopeless situation, all the while realizing that we have been in a much uh, more hopeless situation, namely our, our, our sinful state before God, and, and Jesus found a way to reconcile that, to overcome that, and so we know uh, that he will continue to be faithful. Uh, we can have joy in our battles because he's in control. We, we realize that his ways are higher and better than ours. So now that we kind of have an idea of what happiness and joy, the difference there, uh, let's look at a familiar passage, the Christmas story, and see who this joy was delivered to. Uh, if you're able to, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we read the Christmas story. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, Which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. (coughs) To understand the joy of Advent, we need to understand the brokenness of humanity. Uh, This message of joy came through unexpected messengers to, number, number one, the outcast. The outcast. So just try to get this picture in your mind. Shepherds out in the field, it was cold and quiet and uneventful. They tried to stay warm around the fire. It was just like any cold and quiet and uneventful night. Uh, Because of their chosen career path, uh, they were some of the lowest in society. Uh, By law, their vocation made them ceremonially unclean, which meant they were not allowed to participate in temple sacrifices even though it was their job that made those temple sacrifices possible because they were always on the lookout for that spotless lamb that they would set aside and give special attention to because at a year old, it would be sent to the temple and its blood would be shed on God's altar as a temporary sacrifice to pay for the sins of a family. It's been said that a shepherd's testimony was not admissible in court because they were known as being lazy, dishonest, and unclean. Uh, so uh, we have a few goats. Corinne has a few goats in our backyard, and I don't know if you've ever been around goats or not. But just like any livestock, let's just say they have a distinct smell. Um, so it, it's not awful, but uh, I don't think anybody has ever uh, bottled it up to sell as the next uh, perfume. You know, um, and, and you would think you would. We we can assume that people being around. Any kind of livestock, 24-7, they would take on a similar smell. And so uh, this just kind of uh, ostracized these shepherds even more. They were unclean, they were known as being lazy and dishonest, they didn't smell very good, they were cold, it was dark. If ever there was a broken group of people, they were it. It doesn't really paint a picture of joy yet, does it? if you've heard the uh, similar story of a Christmas Eve over 200 years ago at St. Nicholas Church in a very small, war-torn, poverty-stricken town in Austria. The year is 1818. A priest, Joseph Moore, and a schoolteacher and organist, Franz Gruber, they were getting ready for Christmas Eve Mass when they discovered a mouse had eaten through the bellows of the church organ so that it was inoperable. Now, I don't know a lot about the Catholic Church in 1818, but having a broken organ was apparently a really big deal. And so as they scrambled to try to find something, figure something out, the priest suggested that the organist use the guitar instead. And while one account that I read said he only knew about three chords and he wasn't very polished with those, he agreed, and the two of them ended, ended up introducing a song that in German is titled, Stille Nacht." We sang it this morning, uh, announcing Christ the Savior is born. It is Silent Night. It's a beloved and classic carol that has been translated to over 300 different languages and done in just about every genre known to man. The world may never have received it if it weren't for the broken organ. We can say the same thing about Jesus. Because we, too, have a broken organ, and it is our hearts. Uh, Much like the unclean, isolated, smelly shepherds, all of mankind, including you and me, were broken because of our sinful and wretched hearts. See, the outcast shepherds, they represent you and me. You can write that down. And, And that's who God intentionally announced the birth of His Son to in a most awesome Way It wasn't first announced to the king, or the rich, or the popular, but to the outcast. Because that's who the Savior came to save. When we realize how outcast and broken we are, then we begin to understand the joy of Advent. This cold and calm, silent night would be one the shepherds would never forget. Verse 9 again. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before these cold outcast shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. When we understand our brokenness. We can understand the joy. It was for the outcast and it was for uh, those who were kind of on the edge of the Christmas story. If we continue here in Luke 2, number 2 on your outline, it was for the forgotten. It was for the forgotten. Let's continue in verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and, he, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Joseph and his mother, Jesus' mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for the sign which will be spoken of, spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I'd like to share with you an excerpt from uh, David Jeremiah's Why the Nativity devotional. It's from page 121, and if you know anything about him, uh, he's a great storyteller, so just try to get this uh, scene in your mind. He writes this, uh, This story begins at the temple in Jerusalem, one of the world's busiest places. Armies of priests hurry by, attending to sacred tasks. Pilgrims arrive from all points of the compass, eager to see the spectacle and worship the Lord. Here, within the Holy of Holies, dwells the Spirit of God. Only here can he be truly worshipped. We'll hear prayers and accept sacrifices. And here, of course, a number of eccentrics are always on hand. Every public monument has a few. We tend to ignore these characters, these men, like... Simeon. Simeon comes here several times a week. He is drawn to the temple almost magnetically by his devotion to God. Through decades of his life, Simeon clung to one assurance that his tired old eyes will look upon the Messiah before they close for the last time. The Spirit of God has whispered this promise to him. Imagine he, Simeon, will behold the chosen one and soon. It must be soon because he is old. He cannot hold on much longer. Friends and relatives have gently reasoned with old Simeon, but he pays no attention to their skepticism. The Messiah will come, and he, Simeon, will see him. For years, he watched and waited. The priests no longer register his presence. To them, he's just some old man living under a delusion. Let him have his fairy tale, because it gives him something to hang on to. But today... Simeon cannot suppress his smile. Let people stare, for today is the second time that the Spirit of God has whispered to him the message, Go to the temple, old friend. And so here he comes, creaking along, panting for breath, clacking his walking stick on the polished floor. As he arrives, Simeon scans the activities of the temple. For some time he sees nothing unusual. As a matter of fact, when the young couple arrive with their baby boy, he still sees nothing unusual, but he knows. Mother and father have brought their boy for his first dedication. By law, all firstborn sons must be presented to God. This one looks like any other infant, but Simeon feels that warm, expansive sensation inside him again. That assurance that can only be the Holy Spirit. It bestows the sight that does not come through the eyes. It tells his heart what it yearns to hear. Simeon hurries to the little family's side, clutching his walking stick with both hands. The parents seem startled by his attention, but slowly they relax. Joseph steps back as Mary smiles and gently offers her child to Simeon. The old man gazes in adoration at the soft, vulnerable bundle in his arms. A tear begins to wander through the deep wrinkles on his cheeks. When he holds the child aloft, with trembling hands bolstered by Joseph, the words begin to flow from him. They gush forth in such a way that they become a song, and all the temple stop to hear it. Verse 29 in Luke 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared beforehand for the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentile. The glory of your people Israel." On this day, pilgrims and priests and passers-by stare at Simeon as if seen him for the first time. His melodious words bear a power and an authority that no one has ever suspected, especially as he delicately returns the child to his mother. Can you see the scene? Do you picture the old man full of joy, full of worship, I mean, what is it that would make a man wait for decades in hope for a promise to be fulfilled? What is it that would put a sense of urgency in an old man's step to go to the temple as fast as he could? What is it that would cause a long-forgotten man to open up in a song of praise in the middle of the temple? Joy. It wasn't based on what happened to him, but what was happening in him. And God was sustaining his heart while he waited to see Jesus. His joy wasn't insecure, it was confident. Because we can be certain, Simeon had seen God come through on his promises before, and he trusted that he would continue to be the same God. It wasn't based on facts, like the things that the critics would have say. They seemed true. Simeon, you're crazy for waiting. You're delusional. Simeon, maybe you got the wrong message but no, Simeon's joy was based on truth. God told him so, and so he trusted that it would happen. Church, it's the same for us. And I believe that our God knows the best way to, get, uh, to speak to our hearts. Many times we, we might wonder, uh, well, how am I supposed to hear God's voice? Uh, what if it's like the old telephone lines, and, and it's busy when he tries to get through God has a a direct line to our hearts, and He will get through. He will speak to our hearts. He will lead us every next step, even when that next step is difficult, even when we have to continue to wait, even when it seems like we're forgotten. But we have to be listening. We have to be seeking. We have to be devoted to God and willing to obey, just like Simeon was. Had this thought this week, if uh, if God was to audit my faith, if God was to audit your faith, would He find you devoted to Him fully, <clears throat> like Simeon was? That's kind of a that's a tough question, isn't it? What needs to happen so that we would be? Simeon was forgotten. He was put out to pasture by many. He was unimportant. But he understood the brokenness of his own heart, and therefore he could understand the joy of this Christmas this child brings. It was for, number one, the outcast, the forgotten, number two. Number three, it was for the waiting. It was for the waiting. Notice Anna's story. She only gets three verses as we continue in verse 36. but We will learn a lot about her. Says this. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about eighty-four years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And coming in that instant, the instant that Simeon was just going forth in joy, singing forth in joy and worship. She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So just continue to get this, this scene uh, in your mind. I continue to read uh, David Jeremiah, page 124. It says he, he writes this, Just then, the second part of the story unfolds. A woman comes upon the scene and begins worshiping God in a loud voice. All the regulars know her. It's Anna, who is 84 years old. And thought to be a prophetess. Some, like Simeon, frequent the temple, but Anna never leaves it. For years, it has been her whole world, and people sense that no one could be closer to God than someone who has dwelt for so many years in close proximity to the holiest place on earth. They say Anna was once, once married, but her husband died before most of these people were ever born how many firstborn dedications has she witnessed, yet she has never responded like this. What Simeon seems to know, she publishes abroad. She is telling everyone in the room that the Messiah has come. She tells about the future works of Jesus, God himself, the Lord of Lords, speaking through this faded elderly woman. Mary and Joseph are smiling again, even laughing. Simeon is laughing too and weeping. For years people will We'll relive this remarkable day at the temple. The joyful message comes through channels no one expected. Not through the priest or the crowd favorites, but through two old forgotten relics of good old time religion. And you see this, this joy, of this, the joy of this scene. See, it, w- it was not easy for a widow in these days, especially. Anna had been one for decades Being that she lived in the temple may have meant that she had no other family to take care of her. And so she was at the mercy of those who came. For all this time, she worshipped and served and prayed and fasted and waited. I wonder how many times she just got tired of it. I wonder how many times did she just long for something more. But the Lord gave her contentment. Now, she has seen the chosen one. See The truth of what we've already seen during this series is true in Anna's story. If we are truly waiting on God, we will not miss anything. And what we become while we're waiting is as important as what we're waiting for. Like the outcast shepherds, like forgotten Simeon, like waiting Anna. We understand our own brokenness can recognize the grace of this baby born in a manger and we can understand the joy of Christmas. Number four, this joy is for me. And you make it personal because it's, it's, it's for you. Do you have it? Do you have the joy of Christmas? Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. See, his presence is where the joy is found. So if you're here this morning and you feel forgotten or outcast, have you been waiting for something significant? I know some of your stories. And I know that, that Christmas often reminds us of those who have gone, who have left us. Just, just We long, we, we, we feel the weight of this season many times. I may not understand what you're going through, but I do understand that it's heavy. You begin to wonder if God's ever going to make things right. You begin to wonder if God will ever give you that contentment for where you are in life. It becomes difficult to have joy in some of our circumstances, doesn't it? Well, the last blank on your outline, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. We realize... That our identity is found in Jesus. We trust what he's doing inside of us, not what happens to us. When we move forward with confidence and stand on the truth of his word, then we can find true godly joy. So as we go into a a, a short time of invitation this morning, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And just answer those two questions that we always like to answer. What has God said to you? And What are you going to do about it?